Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. I am Pastor Jonathan Edwards, but my nickname Jed has been with me for the last 15 years. My goal is to encourage believers to have an orthopraxy as strong as their orthodoxy, that Christ might be honored and glorified through our lives. Welcome to the final episode in our series on Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's been a great pleasure to share these truths with you. I have certainly benefited from Ted Tripp's work, and I have, uh, this is now like the fourth or fifth time that I've taught through this material. It's been incredibly helpful to me as a parent, and I hope that it's been helpful to you as well. You know, the thing about teaching is you really get to evaluate your parenting because you're looking at these truths you're thinking about them, you're thinking how to explain them, to come up with good examples, and boy, it's really convicting. I hope that, you know, from a perspective of a listener, the same thing would be true for you, that you would be listening to these truths and think, man, these are really convicting truths from the Word of God. You know, not because of Jonathan Edwards or Ted Tripp, but because of the Word of God, because the Word of God cuts deep. It reveals our flaws, but it also gives us a pathway to greater Christ-likeness. And I know here we are looking at the teen years, and these can be both frightening and fun years with your children. It seems like it's a mixed bag, a little bit of both. Now, I've been in teen ministry for 15 years, maybe almost 16 years now. And I can say that I've seen a lot of ups and downs with the teenagers who have passed through the youth group that I am in charge of. And there's some regular occurrences, some patterns that happen in the lives of teenagers that I think are something every parent should be aware of. I don't think parents should fear it. I don't think parents should want to stop it. But I think parents should be aware of it so that they can have an open dialogue and a good communication with their teens. One of the things that I've seen happen is that hormones affect every student differently. And when your child is going through the hormone changes that occur in adolescence, you know, they may not act like your child. They may act like somebody different. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something to be aware of. And you might have to change your communication. You might have to change your parenting style. You might have to change your relationship with your child in order to bring about a better understanding of truth for that child, in order to better communicate God's truth to that child. I think that parents, by the time their children get to the teen years, have established a comfort zone of parenting. And the culture that we live in tells teenagers, whether they're believers or unbelievers, whether your child goes to public school or is homeschool or private school, they can't avoid the influences of the culture. And one of the big influences that the culture tells teenagers is this. You need to be independent. You need to question everything. You need to make your own decisions. Don't listen to the authorities that you've listened to your whole life. What a travesty. What a shame 
that our culture, by and large, tells young adults to basically become rebellious. They say, ah, it's okay. You're just going to sow your wild oats. That's not a problem. Just go out, have fun for a little while. By the time you're 25 to 30, you'll come back to basically doing normal adult things. No, that's terrible advice. Because there's a lot of consequences that people suffer in their teen years and their early 20s because they spend their time rejecting authority, trying to live their own life, not following the principles of morality that they grew up with, and they end up in very difficult and tough situations in life. I think that scares a lot of parents, especially Christian parents, because you wonder, well, is my kid going to be one of the kids that abandons the faith? Is my kid going to be one of the kids that throws off everything that I've taught them? Is my kid going to do that? Obviously, I can't answer that question yes or no. Neither can you. Only God knows. But I trust God in his sovereignty that if he has elected my child to salvation, that he will also allow my child to persevere as a saint through the ups and downs of the teenage years. And one of the things that parents place their hope in and it's a false hope, is in some profession of faith that a child made when they were very young. A profession of faith is nice. A profession of faith can be reassuring. But a profession of faith, when a child is in elementary school, is not a guarantee of salvation. It is really, I think, during the teen years where you see the true fruits of salvation come to light in a child's life. And with that in mind, I think these training objectives that are set forth by Ted Tripp have a great impact and a great, uh, they, they provide a great guide for parents who are dealing with teenagers. Let's go through them now. We start by reading Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Here we find three important training objectives for teenagers. Number one to grow and develop a genuine fear of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, this phrase, fear of the Lord, is often used to describe one who has a true knowledge of God and a true and genuine belief in Yahweh. Fear of the Lord indicates that you have true respect for the one true creator God, that you're going to have a proper awe of that God and worship only that God. A result 
of genuine fear is that the child will cultivate a Godward orientation in his heart. Remember, we've been talking throughout this entire series about how children and adults live out of the overflow of their heart. A child who has a genuine fear of the Lord will have an orientation that is Godward in his heart. In other words, the child will seek God's truth and attempt to put it into practice to the best of their ability. Another result of having a proper fear of the Lord, genuine salvation, for example, uh, is that the child will begin to cultivate a godly or a biblical perspective on the issues of life. And we call this the worldview. The child has a godly or a biblical worldview. Now, a quick primer on worldview. Worldview is the way that you view the events and circumstances of life. It's like a set of glasses. If you put on rose-colored glasses, everything in your vision looks rosy. If you put on amber-colored glasses, everything looks orange. If you put on gray glasses, everything looks gray. If you put on clear glasses, everything is clear. Worldview is the same. The worldview that you have colors your perspective on all the events of life. That's why you can have one set of facts and two people who have opposite worldviews will look at the same set of facts and draw radically different conclusions because they're filtering those facts through different worldviews. You want your child to cultivate a biblical worldview, and that means that they're going to process all the information that they receive through the truth of God's Word. So, you know, we talked about how the culture wants uh, teenagers or adolescent-age people to cast off all authorities. A biblical worldview would say, you know what, that's not the right perspective. I should not cast off all the authorities. I should submit to authorities, and I should honor them, for that's what God wants me to do. And your goal as a parent changes to some degree in this period of life from requiring strict obedience and strict character development, okay, to helping them make the fear of the Lord functional and practical in regular life. How do you take your fear of God How do you take your Godward orientation, the truths of the Word, and put them into practice in regular life? Hopefully, you've been working with your child to see that as you have challenged their character, as you have sought to help them understand the importance of obedience, but they need to be able to do it without your prompting. They need to be able to Make the fear of the Lord functional and practical without your watchful eye looking over their shoulder all the time. So you're not going to micromanage them. You're going to give them freedom. You're going to give them freedom to make mistakes. You're going to give them freedom to make choices. You're going to observe how they put these truths into practice without you telling them everything to do. That's how you help them make the fear of the Lord functional and practical in everyday life. You see, you need to teach your kids to think critically for themselves, to make wise decisions for themselves without having to be second-guessed 
or micromanaged by mom and dad. The, the secular world calls this being a helicopter parent. Okay, my wife, who worked in admissions in a college, noticed that there you know, are lots of helicopter parents who will make all kinds of decisions for their child without taking into consideration the child's need to grow and develop that part of life, that part of character, that part of being an adult. So you don't want to be a parent who is micromanaging or helicoptering over top of them. You don't want to totally throw them to the wolves, but you don't want to micromanage them. There's a balance there. So you want to help them grow and develop the fear of the Lord so that they can make wise decisions. Now, secondly, you want to encourage your children to continue to have a willingness to submit to parental instruction and influence. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful wreath for your head and pendants for your neck. The second thing you want your children to do, or the second goal, let's put it that way, it's a goal, is for them to have a willingness to submit to parental instruction and influence. So here's some questions to ask about this. Do your children view you as a reliable and trustworthy source of information? Can they easily find in the Bible the foundation for the instruction that you give? Now, the purpose of asking these questions is twofold. Number one, As your children encounter more of the culture, the views that you have and that you have taught them will be challenged greatly. And so if your children don't view you as reliable and trustworthy, that can undermine their view of the Word of God. Secondly, can they easily find in the Bible the foundation for the instruction that you give? Now, not every instruction in life comes out of the Bible. For example, it it doesn't say anything about how to style your hair or what color of clothes to wear, those types of things. But there are a lot of general life instructions, general life principles that are found in the Word of God. You want to make sure that you're teaching your children consistent truth from the Word of God to the best of your ability. I realize not everybody is going to be a Bible scholar. Not everybody's going to understand all the nuances of difficult passages and technical issues and so forth and so on. But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking to your children about how do they view the Bible and their parents as a source of information and instruction about life. One of the things that parents do to undermine this is to not apply the truths of the Word of God equally to their own life. Now, we've talked about this on many occasions in our past episodes, that parents need to see themselves 
as more similar to their children than dissimilar. Parents need to understand that the truths that they teach their children apply just as much to the parent. So if you're telling your child to speak kind words to other people, if you're telling your child to have a good attitude when things are things are going wrong in their life, and you don't do the same thing, you are proving to your child that you don't really trust the Word of God. You don't really believe the Bible is the right foundation for life. You prove to be an untrustworthy source of information. Now, do we have flaws as parents? Of course. Do we have issues Uh, sin issues that we need to work on, habits of sin that we need to break? Yes, of course we do. But you don't want to have such an obvious habit or an obvious sin issue to where your child is saying, man, my dad says this from the Word of God, and he just does the exact opposite. My dad told me that the Word of God says the borrower is slave to the lender. And you got to be really careful when you use debt. But I know that my dad uses debt all the time. And he's really always stressed out about how many bills he has to pay and how he's going to make all the payments for the cars and the boat and the house and the second house. He's always worried about that. So if your child hears that, you're stressed out about making payments for all of these debts that you've taken on, and you've told your child that the Bible warns against the use of debt, what are you going to think? What is your child going to think? They're going to find you to be unreliable. They might find the Bible to be unreliable. As much as it depends upon you as a parent, you need to practice what you preach. You need to connect the promise of blessing as a positive consequence to obedience, to parental commands, and to the Word of God. Now, this promise of blessing doesn't mean that everything is going to go well all the time. But the promise of blessing that comes from the circle of blessing basically says this, if you follow God's precepts and God's ordinances and God's commands, things will generally go well with you. Because the purpose of God giving us commands and ordinances and precepts isn't so that we don't have fun in life, but it's so that we are protected from the difficulties of living in a sin-cursed world. And I read this larger section of Proverbs chapter 1 earlier, and you'll recall that wicked people want to influence your child to do wicked things. And if they go with wicked people to do wicked things, bad things can happen to your child. That's a perfectly avoidable situation. Perfectly avoidable. That's what we're talking about. The promise of blessing is the positive consequence of obedience to not only parental commands, but to God's commands. Obviously, parental commands should be coming from God and God's Word. Now, the third thing, the third thing that you want to encourage your children as a goal is to avoid the enticements 
that come from wicked people. Paul summed it up very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he said, Bad company corrupts good morals. Well, you may have good morals, you may be able to stand for a little while, but if you throw your lot in with bad company, eventually your good morals are going to be corrupted. So abstain from fellowship with the wicked. That doesn't mean go out of the world. It doesn't mean that you can't have friends who are non-believers. What it means is you're not going to choose to hang out with those people who you know are wicked. You're not going to make it a priority to spend time with those people. You're not going to seek their company. You're going to seek the company of godly people. And if you happen to have an un, a friend who's an unbeliever, you may spend some time with them, but not the majority of your time. Parents need to warn their children about the dangers of falling into bad company. And don't, don't do it with the most extreme example possible. You don't need hyperbole, all right? You don't need hyperbole to do this. Just tell them the truth. Look, if you spend time with people who are wicked, if you choose to hang out with unbelievers, there are consequences that come from those associations. You may, you may not even be participating in the evil deed, but because you're hanging out with people who do that, you may get lumped in with them in some way, shape, or form. Solomon was so wise to include this piece of advice because one of the primary goals that teenagers have is to have a sense of belonging, a purpose, to feel like they belong to a certain group of people. They really want that camaraderie, that companionship. This is why sports are so, are a huge part of many people's lives because they want that sense of camaraderie. They want that sense of belonging, of working towards the same goal. That's why people form musical bands. That's why people form various clubs and different activities. They want a sense of camaraderie, and it's not wrong to want that, but you, you have to seek it with the right people. You have to seek it with people who want to honor God first. Seek it with people who want to do what is righteous first. That may mean you say no to a lot of people that are your acquaintances. Teenagers are often unsure of themselves. They're unsure of their place in the family and in society. And so they're looking to fit in. And so parents have to be honest and open and upfront about this legitimate need that teenagers have. They have to be open about that. Hey, son, I know you want to fit in with people, but these aren't the right people to fit in with. Let me tell you why. Dear daughter, I know you want to fit in. I know you want to be accepted, but these aren't the people who you should be seeking approval from. There are great and serious consequences of friendship 
with those who are wicked. And parents, this is the time. All right, this is the time where you really have to buckle down and work hard on your communication. You've got to you've got to go from lecture mode to listening mode. And I know I I know you're going to say I, I am a good listener. No, really listen. Ask a lot of questions. Give your teenager an opportunity to spill their guts in any way, shape, or form possible. Even if it means you have to stay up late. Even if it means that, you know, you miss out on something you had planned, do what you need to do. We've talked over and over about the importance of biblical communication, and this is really where the rubber meets the road to that. Because teenagers, I think more than anything, want to be heard. They want to feel like they have a voice, like their voice is being established and that it means something. So how do you going to train how are you going to train for this? How are you going to train for this? That's an excellent question. It's uh, really a multifaceted answer. And the first part of that is to focus on the internalization of the gospel. Again, I mentioned earlier, you're not asking the question, did my child pray a prayer? No, what you want to ask and want to understand is, what do you know about the gospel? How did, your, how did Jesus transform you? What is your relationship with Jesus like? What does he mean to you? Focus on the internalization of the gospel. Does your child know what repentance is? Not just a dictionary definition, but when they actually repented. Do they understand how to confess sin? Do they understand how to ask for forgiveness? You do this by asking thoughtful questions and being really patient with them. You help them know that change and transformation is possible, but it doesn't always happen overnight. You go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and you talk about how you have to be metamorphosized by the Word of God how you're transformed from what you used to be to what you are in Christ. And make sure that you point out the challenges that Paul and Peter and John point out when it comes to sanctification, as noted in the New Testament. And there are some real challenges to sanctification. Challenges to take every thought captive challenges from the evil one, challenges from culture, even challenges from those within the church who would have you compromise doctrine and seek to gratify selfish desires and selfish pleasures rather than live a pure and godly life. Challenge them to internalize the gospel so that in their heart, as they live out of the wellspring of life, it is the gospel. Now, the next thing you want to do is to focus on the shepherding part of parenting. I don't think that brute force and a strong show of authority are the most effective ways to shepherd your child's heart in the teen years. So Ted Tripp has a chart, and I 
took the liberty to change the name a little bit. I think it is a little more helpful. It's called the Power versus Influence chart. The Power versus Influence. If I'm able to, I'll try to post it underneath the description of this podcast or maybe put a, a PDF on the website or something like that. Anyways, the power versus influence chart. When the child is zero years old, the parent has a great amount of power over the child because the child is totally dependent upon the parent to do everything, change diaper, feed, make comfortable, etc., etc. As the child goes from zero to 18, the amount of power that the parent has decreases. And by necessity, it decreases since you don't want to be feeding, bathing, changing your child when they're 18 years old. You want them to be able to take care of all of those tasks. So this is a natural progression. Let's put it that way. It's a natural progression. But when you look at it in terms of shepherding or the parent's authority over the child, the power that a parent has is directly related to the things that may be accomplished with your child because you are bigger and stronger and faster than them. It is important that parents recognize the power they have over their child decreases as the child goes from zero to 18. When your children are little, you exercise a great amount of power over them especially in helping them to be obedient, helping them to cultivate character, etc., etc. But as they get older, what you are able to accomplish with your child because you are bigger, stronger, and faster decreases a great deal and in fact may prove to be counterproductive. If you're trying to spank a 14-year-old, if you're trying to outshout a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, you are setting yourself up to be in a constant power struggle because the child maybe now is as big as you are. Maybe now is as strong as you are. Maybe now is able to express the rebellion of their heart in a way that they weren't before. And so this power versus influence chart, we want to look at influence next. So influence is this. Influence is the willingness of a child to place himself under authority because he trusts the parent. So this has to do with the voluntary submission of the child to the parent. You have a good relationship with the child. You have a good rapport. You have a positive credit with the child. And so when you say things to the child, they listen to you because you have that positive credit. So when the child is zero, when the child is three, there's not a lot of influence that you have because children who are two, three, four, five years old, they don't think about influence in this way. They're still being affected by the power that you have over them. But if you prove to be a good shepherd, if you prove to be a diligent applier of God's truth, the influence that you have will increase, or it ought to increase, so, the, so that when your child is 18 and they're no longer under your power, they're not living under your roof, 
They're still coming to you because they are willing to be influenced by you. You must transition as a parent from being able to get things done with your children because you're bigger, stronger, and faster, and you have more power than them, to being able to influence them using the Word of God, using good communication skills, building them up as a man or woman of God. You have to be able to think through the issues of life with them and develop what I would consider an adult relationship with them. Think about it. You don't nitpick all the decisions that your adult friends make. You don't do that. You don't micromanage everything in their life. Don't do that to your teenager. When they're 14, 15, 16 years old, let them make some decisions on their own. Let them discover the natural consequence of poor decisions. It's better they discover it then than when they're out on their own. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking about major decisions like going to parties where there may be alcohol or drugs or something like that. I'm talking about, you know what? If you give them a budget for school clothes, that's $100. Let's just use that for example. You give them a $100 budget for school clothes and they go out and they buy a $90 pair of jeans with their $100 budget. Don't tell them to take the jeans back. Let them figure out how they're going to get the rest of their wardrobe with the 10 bucks. That's a decision that they made on their own that they experience a consequence of their own making, and it's not going to hurt them in the long run. They may be embarrassed. They may, be, they may wear that pair of jeans every single day for an entire school year. That would be interesting. But it's not going to hurt them in the long run. But they need to be able to identify the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their financial decisions, the consequences of their food decisions, the consequences of, you know, many other decisions in life that are really non-essential. That's influence. That's influence. When you can talk to your child and be able to say, you know what, I know that $90 pair of jeans, that looks cool, it's popular, etc. But do you think that's the best use of your money? Just leave it at that. Do you think that's how, do you think that's a God-honoring use of your resources? For some people, it may be. And for others, it may not be. But you need to let them think through those types of decisions. Think through those situations. And stumble a little bit. Fall down a little bit. If they make bad choices and they see, wow, mom or dad was really right about this, maybe that will increase your influence in their eyes. A great danger that parents make is they just try to bash their children using power, using uh, all of their might to get them to do what they want to do. But you haven't taught them how to think. You haven't taught them the biblical worldview. You haven't helped them to understand the nuance of life. And that's the goal. The goal is not that your child sticks around and calls you up for every decision that you ever want them to make, but that you equip them to make godly choices using God's word for his glory about the various 
situations that they will find themselves in in life. Man, that is a heady way to think about parenting. But I think it's a biblical way to think about parenting. And obviously you never stop being a parent. But hopefully you have an influence on them that is based on the Word of God, that is Christ-centered, and that will result in you being able to talk to them on a regular basis about the various challenges of life, because life is difficult. Living in a sin-cursed world is difficult. The pressures of culture, the pressures of our peers, they're real. And your child needs to understand that. Well, I think that as you examine this material we talked about today, you'll find that there's there's a lot more we could say about the teen years. But these are some real basic and foundational principles that we can put into practice to help our teenagers begin to think critically and to think with a biblical perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening today. Once again, my name is Pastor Jonathan Edwards, and you know, if you have a uh, comment or a question, I would encourage you to email me, just mrjed2007 at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. My name is Jonathan Edwards. Our church website is www.gbchapel.com. If you really benefited from this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you'd rate me. Just You don't have to leave a review. Just put five stars. Just put five stars on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. That will help other people find this podcast and benefit from these truths as well. Thank you so much, and God bless.